no, you're right. And on the fire ground, we need to execute with violence of action. We need to seize the initiative back. And we just don't have time. The time we're making in our drills for the talk and this and that, we don't have time for that on the fire ground. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap number 211. My guest tonight is the one and only Jeff. He has over 18 years in the fire service, 13 at the city of St. Paul. He is currently with Milwaukee Fire. He is an Army combat veteran, a sniper with Task Force Tacoma. Now in his current life, he is heavily involved with a different style of special operations in the fire service, including Minnesota Task Force One, Minnesota Aviation Rescue Team, Milwaukee Heavy Urban Rescue Team. He has the education to supplement the experience, including a master's in organizational leadership. He is an author, articles, a book, a book that I have absolutely uh, destroyed and will be referencing and talking about tonight. Um, one of my currently favorite books, Mastering the Craft, Cultivating a Philosophy for Fire Attack. I guess I could show the cover. There we go. Uh, which yeah. He is a husband of 17 years and the father of three. It is my honor and pleasure to have Jeff Rothmeyer on as guest of Weekly Scrap number 211. Welcome, my brother. Uh, thanks, Chief Moore. I, I appreciate the uh, the kind introduction, and I'm honored to be here. Thanks for asking me. Um, I hope I can bring some value to this uh, great podcast of yours. Dude, I'm looking forward to the discussion. I'm looking forward to the scrap. People are logging in, and already there is a lot of hype. Is there anything I missed, anything you would like to add to the introduction? Uh, no, just the you know all the stuff in St. Paul and Minnesota. That obviously was a former role. I'm not an active uh, member of those teams, but uh, um, yeah, everything else sounded great. Um, thank you. Absolutely, uh, audience. Please get your questions primed and ready for Jeff and myself. We plan to cruise down some rabbit holes. Uh, quick announcements: If you want to be a part of the vigilantes, uh, if you want to be a member of the exclusive Cool Kids Club, go to FirehouseVigilance.com. Uh, the latest thing the vigilantes are doing is the scrap after party, which Jeff says he's willing to be a part of, even though I threatened him with the vigilante roast, um, which is yet to occur. But we're going to see tonight. Um, when it's over, the vigilantes go in there and they tell him how good he did. Uh, now, on to the sponsors. Of course, the OG sponsor of the scrap, Keyhoes, the original. Check them out online at keyhoes.com. Follow them on Facebook. Affordable Drill Towers, home of the affordable drill tower and the affordable standpipe prop. It's firefighter owned and operated. You can pump and roll using the affordable standpipe prop. The affordable standpipe prop fits through most classroom doorways for standpipe theory, and then you can roll it out into the parking lot and pump. It comes with six standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Firefighter safety and accountability starts with being able to quickly find and identify individual firefighters operating on the fire ground. Identifier safety combines the best in photoluminescent materials for durable firefighter identification solutions that can glow for up to 20 hours with no switches or batteries, which means being able to rapidly identify firefighters by name, unit, or assignment, even under hot fire conditions. It's firefighter owned and operated. Man, be seen on scene, identifiersafety.com or sales at identifiersafety.com. Last but not least, are you into the job? Are you committed to being the very best you can be? 
Come celebrate five years of blue-collar excellence at the 2024 North Florida Fire Expo. The conference is being held February 7th through the 10th, 2024, on beautiful Okaloosa Island, Florida. For more info, visit www.NorthFloridaFireExpo.com. And that officially gets the sponsors done, and we are ready for the scrap proper. Jeff, where do you want to start? Wherever you want, Chief. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm ready for you. What do you got for me? I want to go. I want to go straight to the book and say why this. I mean, hey, I love this book. Okay, I, I, this is not just because you're my guest on here. I showed you before. I've tried to explain to people. A lot of people know my my book reading system where I use the tabs. I've never had to put tabs on the top of a book before because you actually broke my system. I'm not. I mean, I. <laughs> you, I can't thumb through the book because there's too many. So all that being said, why the book? What's the inspiration for it? Uh, broad strokes, where did it come from? So for, first I got to like, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, it's very humbling that you would say that and that uh, it looks like the book is well received across the fire service. Those that, that have given it a read. Um, honestly, like throughout the whole writing of the book, I had to kind of keep chiding myself on to keep writing. Um, I didn't know if the material was relevant for the greater fire service. I felt like it was relevant for me and I kind of took a chance and, and just had faith more than anything that um, if it's relevant for me, it's very possible somebody else might find um, the same use out of it. So uh, it's, it's validating to know that people value it and um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. So uh, the book, which I'm going to, you know, keep up with you here. Um, really, I I was in a spot to get that master's degree where I had to write a paper. Uh, it had like an 80 page limit to it. Like I needed to come up with 80 pages of material. Um, I really knew the only way I could do something like that and to do the type of research to create that much content, it had to be something that I'm ultimately passionate about, which is the fire service. And, um, you know, I've, I've had so many uh, conflicts with other firefighters over the years about the our tactics and how we should be deploying on the fire scene, um, which tactics are more relevant given this scenario, that scenario, uh, risk versus reward, um, you know, all the, all of the arguments we probably run into constantly fighting for a high standard in our, in our, in our fire service that I was like, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to, you know, really at least understanding the nature of our tactics, the nature of the fire ground um, I'm going to analyze data. You want to do risk reward and, and talk in loose and loose concepts. I'm no longer going to talk in loose concepts. I have data that will ground our concepts to what's actually happening on the fire ground, risk versus reward in certain discussions. Sure. And, and then on top of that, um, you know, I needed to develop a philosophy that would work for me. So while I was also trying to put hard facts to um, these conversations, I also wanted 
uh, to really develop a philosophy that would empower me to be the best version of myself on the fire ground for the sake of the citizens. Um, I don't think you can act as aggressively or as intentionally as you as you're capable of until your philosophy has strong roots. And that's the purpose of the book was to develop strong roots for an aggressive uh, fire attack, uh, an, an aggressive disposition um, and approach to fire combat. Um, and so there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of influences. Uh, it's heavily rooted in, in some of the war fighting doctrine from the Marine Corps which I really stumbled uh, onto that through um, Leadership Under Fire. They, they run a great class on mental performance and human factors. And that, a lot of that, it, what I learned from that class and then the resources they, they kind of gave me um, regarding the reading lists and um, you know some of the educators they brought in, they opened my mind. I was writing this book while going to that... Um, we called it a mental performance initiative in our department. So I'm really grateful to have, have had that opportunity and then run in more uh, resources to, to fuel the book. I, I had probably half the book, maybe a little bit more written and, and probably the last third of the book I found um, from some of the books I got out of that, um, you know, going down the route of with Gary Klein and recognition right. decision-making and, MCDP one and a few other uh, books that really helped me put an end cap to this one. <laughs> Beautiful man. No, yeah. uh, no. And, and, and even, and that's why upwards uh, ticks is the, the stuff you did on after action reports, the, uh, at the end and uh, decision-making exercises, man, it, that, that has already impacted uh, stuff that I'm doing in my department. So, uh, awesome. and I know, I know elsewhere, that's just my personal anecdotal uh, in, uh from the from impact from the book uh so uh let me catch you up with everybody that's chiming in uh let's go pen and paper ready that comes from again here we go boys josh hawk carpe fuego that says lfg from chattanooga tennessee checking in nicholas gwynn said finally get to watch live can't wait steve kaiser checking in from down under i would do an australian accent but it'd be terrible um scott thompson said watching i love that i love that chief yeah uh, Frisco, Texas State, one of the best fire service related books I've read in recent times. That comes from Rob Ketty. So many. Caught, uh, D- Derek Smith said, caught so many nuggets from you a few years ago at a training in Iowa, and it was awesome to see them and move come more come to fruition in this book. One of the best fire service books I've read. So there you go. Uh, there's there's a ton where you'll have to come back and check them, but I caught some of the bigger ones. Yeah, you mentioned some solid firefighters and fire chiefs out there. That's uh we got the initiated joining us today. No doubt about it, brother. They are checking in to, to hear what you have to say. So you uh, you brought it up, and I want to I want to dig into it a little bit. And it was the war fighting, the military background, basically not just the war fighting aspect, but the military background and, and the and the relevance it had to your current mindset. Yeah, well, and it's because that's where I really started my public service career. Um, Right, just after nine eleven, I I signed up for um, for duty, and uh, you know that looked 
it looked different than what I necessarily had pictured when I signed up and, but it really formed my foundation of, of how I, how I approach the work. Um, I wouldn't say I was a lost man before I got in the military. I was starting to establish some pretty good roots, uh, but it certainly centered me. And then uh, when we went to combat, um, you know, I was the honor of my life and uh, I got to serve with some really uh, strong men and I learned from them. Um, once I came to the fire service, I, I saw a bit of a disconnect, you know, via this paramilitary um, goal that we strive to have. Uh, there definitely is a disconnect as far as we're not meeting I guess paramilitary is really a loose term at times. Right. Um, and so when I started to kind of see like, we're not as intentional as the military is about certain, well, about seizing the initiative. I mean, that's really the goal of, of when we go on the fire ground, we're trying to take the initiative back from the fire. You know, the fire started, uh, started the battle before we got there. We're always behind. And we're always, uh, we're never as fast as we want to be. Um, once we throw on 60 pounds of gear, I, I mean, we can train fast all we want. We throw on 50, 60 pounds of gear and we throw in the friction that the fire ground presents. You know, it's hard to get the initiative back. So to me, I needed to free my mind in a way that would allow me to uh, maneuver more freely um, and really get that squared away in, in my mind on you know, what are some of these things that we did in the military, i.e. Uh, the scout sniper platoon and task force Tacoma that I served with? What are what were the behaviors? Um, what did we cultivate in that platoon? Uh, because I believe we were combat effective, you know, right. and that, that was a big word that uh, that I always, you know, strived for after I left the military was like, what made us what made us combat effective? What were the behaviors? What was the drills? What were the mindsets? Um, and honestly, I got a lot to learn yet because I just had a conversation with my old platoon leader. Uh, I was mentioning that to you earlier, and he was uh, he was really walking me down the road of of uh, a few things in the book that he's like, I think you you can expand on a few of these things in a classroom, and um, and then he was walking you know, even further in depth on those concepts. So I'm looking forward to learning more, but um, yeah, the fire service, in my opinion, at that time, this was uh, so, you know, pushing 18 years of service here. I, I just didn't, I felt like it was more of a social, a sociable atmosphere than it was an intentional atmosphere. So uh, I just want to dig in. I want to, I want to ask, uh, cause I've heard this and I want, I don't want to derail you, but I also want to dig in a little bit and say, yeah. especially people that I, I, now I have no military ser service background at all. And yeah. so, uh, please understand I'm, I'm speaking from ignorance, but a lot of people who come from, especially combat, uh, who left military and then came to the fire service looking for the same type of, uh, I don't want to put the wrong words in, but brotherhood or camar camaraderie or Absolutely. belonging. A lot of them have felt, uh, disappointed when they got there. And I'm sure it's, it's department dependent and things like that. But is that, yeah. is that something that you've uh, kind of are alluding to here a little bit, or is it separate? a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, so we all know that there's like micro cultures within um, the culture of a fire department. And so I think 
there's, I think almost every fire department has that group um, or, you know, whether it's that house or a couple of houses in that department that have the, what we, what I would call is a strong uh, brotherhood and a strong culture. And that's what I've always, uh, I mean, the reason I got into special operations was because they seemed more intentional. They seemed like they moved towards a purpose together. They were always drilling um, and they were competent. And, and to me, like those are aspects of, of fire combat that we, that we need to have. That's a, that's an effective uh, functional culture. Right. Now outside of those groups, I felt like it was really hard to find those firehouses that came a lot um, that were talking shop a lot. Um, and, and, you know, outside of the shop talk, if, if you're effective on the truck together, you're probably, you're probably able to talk about a lot of things in the kitchen as well. Um, a lot of life things, right? Uh, because you're establishing a social connection. Um, I think that you can have a, a functional culture without like all the competency and, and the drill like intention. Um, I, I just, I don't know how you overcome not being uh, effective Right. You know, for the main part of your job, if we get a fire, you know, are we going to are we going to have chemistry? Are we going to be able to seize the initiative back and and deploy these lines, force these doors and the time frames that lead to uh, victim rescues? Right. If if you can't do that, I feel like it's it's going to like I just feel like you're not, you know, living up to the oath we took. Um, And we all know that, you know, like if we come back from a fire, we all know when we did a bad job and I just right. don't know how you rectify that in a firehouse. And as far as like having a, having pride in, in your company, right? Sure. Sure. No. Is it just self-deception and the ability to say, well, the fire went out everybody went home. So we're okay. And- right. Right. Like I know that you can say that and our brains, uh, you know, kind of appease us for the moment, but I do think like that, that kind of erodes some of the pride in the firehouse. Cause if that oh, yeah. doesn't matter, then does it really matter if we mop the floor? Right. Um, does it matter if we clean the toilets? I mean, we might we might do like a quick shot on it, right? Like a really, you know, like just touch it up for the sake of like, well, the boss might say something versus like, you know what? This is our house. We take pride in it. When people come here, they notice the fact that we got a busy house and yet it's still well-maintained. Um, that's a part of our identity. And, and so those are the companies that I'd prefer to work for. Uh, cause for that to happen, we all have to be engaged and we all have to have the same mindset. Um, uh, one, one, uh, one guy or one, uh, lady, you know, trying to, to make the house, you know, look, you know, to a high standard of care, it's not going to happen. Um, well, that'll be all they're doing all day. Right. Right. No, so, no. A uh, couple of questions. And I'm, I'm not trying to derail because you were on a roll, but a uh, couple of yeah, questions coming from the audience. First one's coming from Eric Wheaton. Uh, and he wants to know any thoughts on audiobook version? I haven't been approached with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm down. You know, like if, if, it, if it brings value to the fire service, I'm in, right? Right on. Right yeah. on. Love, love that answer. 
I don't know how it works with fire engineering and everything, how they how they work that and stuff. So yeah, uh, I don't either. Stephen McCaffrey wants to know what benchmarks do you use to measure combat effectiveness? So the benchmarks I would use to measure is uh you know, a little of this is fluid, right? And and so I think water on the fire within the first minute of the fight, you know, when the air brakes are set, water on the fire in the first minute is pretty effective. Um, that gives you about 20, 30 seconds of a stretch, 20, 30 seconds of an advance. Obviously, if you got an extended stretch or a fire that's three, four floors up and you got to advance a charge line up that far, well, we got different problems. Um, but I'm just saying like bread and butter, kitchen fire on a, Let's say in a uh, ranch, yeah, within a minute, you should have water on the fire. So that that's one benchmark for the engine to try to hit. Um, and mind you, I, I actually value very highly drilling with a clock. And I don't know if, if everybody does that, but I mean, like every combat drill, um, it would be ideal. You know how, like, like think about this. If, if we tried to put that clock into play on all of our little battle drills, um, I don't know if all of you have, well, whether or not you've been around for a long time or not, if you can try to think back when you first started seeing videos of, of uh, firefighters masking up, what were their mask up times? Right. Yeah. Like back in the day, um, I feel like I first started seeing them like 20 seconds was a valued time. And I feel like some people say that's kind of like the standard. I tell that to the new firefighter one, um, you know, candidates right now is like get to 20 seconds. Uh, but if you're on the street, you really should be pushing 10. And if we think about that, I really believe that that came about because of all the engagement uh, from people posting videos nonstop about their techniques and talking about them. And so that gave everybody the necessary feedback to drill to a high standard, right. 10 seconds. You know, we're giving that time back to the citizens. I think that's highly functional. So, you know, so right there, an effective benchmark for your, you know, if you want to get it down to this micro progression to your mask up is like 10 seconds, right? Like 15 seconds. That's, that's, uh, you're getting after it, right? You're, you're, you're seeking to take back the initiative, your searches. Like, I don't know why we don't have a NFPA standard. I wrote this in a book, in the book, um, so we, we, we talk about the gallonage, how, how much gallonage we should have on the first two lines. We talk, you know, I'm sure NFPA, you know, and I don't know all these, like how soon the, the call needs to get dispatched, how soon uh, we need to get on the rigs, how soon the, the first engine should be on scene, how soon the first, uh, you know, alarm box should all be on scene. We have standards for all these benchmarks, but when we're on the scene, we don't seem to have standards for when we should complete the search. So to me, the you should have the first floor clear uh, or the primary search all done within five minutes of scene time, because that's what the statistics are telling us is six minutes over 50% of our victims are going to be recoveries, right? Yeah. And so like none of us signed up to be a part of the recovery department, right? Like our, you know, our hearts are set on rescue. Um, so we have, I mean, so just like we got down to 10 and 15 seconds on those mask ups, 
it's even more critical to get those searches done in five minutes if we want to have a shot at recovery, or I'm sorry, at rescue. Right. So that's a benchmark to me is like, get the primary search all floors done in five minutes with, with what, uh, whatever you have responding, build your response around that. And I think you're becoming really combat effective. You're giving the citizen the best chance possible. That's an area I want to live. Um, so five minutes, that gives you a minute for rescue, right? That gives you um, that minute to get them out of the IDLH, whether you go out a window or door, um, you got to make the right decisions to make use of that minute. But I am finding like when I when I put a clock on, like, I, all right, I'm going to do a second floor VES, you know, so getting the ladder up the truck, getting the ladder to the window, taking the window, diving in the window, getting the search done. I mean, I'm pushing like three to four minutes just getting getting the search. And now I got to get a drag in, get them over the sill. Um, we don't got much time. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, every time I put a clock on, if I got to force a door, you know, what is that? A 30 second force. I mean, like, let's get it. Let's try to get that door force in 30 seconds or less. So which benchmark do you want to hit? I think right. we got a lot of them. We should just start throwing a clock and you got to put full battle rattle on. Cause, um, like I said earlier, none of us are moving fast. So we could put a clock on our stretch or in our advance, or we could put a clock on our victim drags when we got no gear on. Um, but that's not an accurate clock. Uh, the clock's only going to slow down more because of the novelty of the scene, the smoke and heat conditions are going to do something to us. And, and all the, like, well, let's talk about hoarder conditions and the, the debris, um, nighttime, you know, all the pr- complications, these things bring victims with sloughed skin. I could go on and on. Right. So the clock. Right. So if we can't nail the five minute, you know, search time or the 30 second force or the, you know, one minute ladder throw and window, you know, is out. If we can't nail the times and ideal conditions with our SCBA on, we're really going to struggle when, when we're up against it. There you go. Great answer, man. Unbelievably good answer. And he went all over the place. As I say, you hit so many benchmarks, not all over the place. Like, yeah. you mean, like I'm not saying you meandered. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm tracking. Scott Thompson, Chief Scott Thompson, asking the question. Uh, in fact, I'm, Scott, Chief, I'm going to pull your question down. Uh, I'm going to ask it in a minute. Peyton Price wants to know, sorry if I missed Jeff talking about it. Is there a difference between efficiency and effectiveness what is your opinion on the subject? Well, that's uh, so efficiency, I think, leads to effectiveness. Um, it's interesting that he he's asking about this because like um, I actually just did, I'm, I'm still going to school, right? I'm still in the higher education system and I'm still asking questions about the fire service. Um, I, I, it might drive me to write another book that, uh, is relevant if I, if I find the right topics, right? Like, um, so efficiency was the topic I studied this semester, this last semester, summer semester. And I was trying to find out if efficiency drove firefighter performance. Um, so I got a lot, I got a long rabbit hole, but I found some, I found some answers like, um, that I think are relevant. And part of that is, is yes, if it like, we won't be effective if we're not efficient. Now this is from a physiological standpoint, right? Is again, we got 60 pounds of gear. Nothing's, nothing's really fast when right. we're trying to move around on the fire ground. It's just not. 
So what it does need to be is efficient and, and we'll, we'll call it smooth, right? So the, the smoother I am about it, like, and if we've heard the old military adage, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is smooth. fast. Yes. It, it applies in much of, uh, of our work in the fire service. Um, everything is heavy, everything is bulky and, uh, everything zaps our energy completely. So when we're in this paradigm, efficiency is our anchor, um, to effectiveness, if that makes sense. Like if, if I, uh, if, if I go all out on moving that hose line up the stairs, by the time I get to the top, if I wasn't, if I wasn't using a f- efficient uh, body posture and uh, any any little um, tacit knowledge tricks, right? Like, uh, you know, I guess I'm not uh, have any queued up on. But like, let's say when I do an overhaul, a task I do on every fire ground, so we should be better at overhaul, right? But that being said, like if if I'm not use if I'm not prying with maybe like a halligan or a hook. Um, I'm most likely swinging a heavier tool and I'm the one providing the force instead of the tool providing force multiplication, right? So I'm not being efficient there. So my effectiveness at the, at the end state of that event is going to be diminished because of my lack of efficiency. So there's a correlate there if, if we're, you know, thinking on those terms. Um, mm. Yeah. So efficiency well, is a big deal, I, in my opinion, especially when it comes to our energy systems. I love it, man. I, I look forward to the next book. So <laughs> I, I really do. I'm not even uh, no hyperbole at all. Uh, okay, I, I, we Scott is kind of getting into culture, and I, I'm, I is a, we'll just ask this question. Chief Thompson wants to know, based on your research, what is the most effective way to positively influence the microculture a firehouse slash fire company? Hmm. Um. I'm just writing this down uh, just because I, as I'm talking, I almost got to look at it, right? So a microculture, one company. um, And I got to think back a little bit on my experiences, right? So, so it's, it's not like you can walk in and this is my opinion, because I, you know, I, I've tried to do this and failed miserably. It's, it's not like you can walk in and say like, we're going to be like this from now on. And we're going right. to be, you know, we're going to be hard chargers. No one's, no one's going to be better than us. Um, take it from me. That approach does not work. Um, and honestly, like I, I'm actually like um, not just frustrated. Like I, I, I'll take ownership of that. Like I, I feel like I didn't have a positive influence on some fire ground outcomes because I didn't create the, the right culture. So maybe I need to read Chief Thompson's book a little more closely, right? Um, but what I have seen um, positively influence those type of cultures is small examples, continuous small examples of connection. So let me let me describe a few of those. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear what it sounds like. Okay, I'll give you a, a prime one. And this came from the, a leader at my house. Real uh, quick, you have a clicky pin and the mic is picking it up. Oh, sorry. You're, no, no, I'm just telling you because it's going to, yeah. If I don't <laughs> tell you. dropping you nuts? Well, in the recording, it will. It, as people listen to it, they won't know what it is. And so anyway, 
I'm just Sorry. gonna say because you know I'm a firefighter. I'm just right. No, I, it's gonna keep going. I know it's gonna happen again, so it's all good. Go ahead. Um, it's subconscious. Right, right. So the captain, uh, well, I'll just tell the story. Go. One, I started noticing at this house. I, I came to this house, Station Twenty Three, about um, three years ago, and uh, honored to be there. Um, you know, we have a rescue, te- a rescue there, and uh, you know, we. we you get when you go there you're typically on the engine first and and then you try to earn your way to the rescue and um you're part of the special operations team there so that being said um one of the things i started noticing about uh some of the behaviors of some of the bosses on the engine was uh they would open the door for me every now and then the back door of the rig right we go on a uh, ems call i got all the kits you know do the blood pressures do thing right and then um, I would notice the door would be open uh, to, you know, as we're walking back, I, I didn't pay any attention to what the boss was doing, but my door was open. And so I was like, oh, the boss just got the door for me. That was pretty cool. Right. Right. What's the big deal. Right. Why even talk about this on a, on a great podcast. Right. Well, here's the deal. So I notice behaviors um, and I think we all should because uh, we do subconsciously and we assimilate and condition ourselves to act like that as well. Um, mm. cause we want to be accepted in our, in our different, uh, you know, in our different societies. So I noticed like a little while longer, a different boss was now working, um, with me and, uh, all of a sudden I noticed my door was open again. Right. So I'm like, you know, this is a, a couple different bosses now are working with me. And every now and then I'm noticing the door is open and I'm like, there's something going on in this station culturally that that's happening and i couldn't really put my finger on it but i i was curious and i was like you know that's kind of a nice thing you know what i mean like is it a big deal like at the time i thought nah it's not a big deal but i'm curious right right all right so here's here's the here's where i'm going with it um then i worked with my captain my captain works on a different shift right and so uh you know what I noticed was in, in those previous experiences, it was just kind of once in a while that the door would be open. Every call I go on this with this captain on, the door is open. Every single call. And I said, I found the source. This this is the guy, you know, and he's the captain of the house too, right? Right. So um, it's it's pretty obvious to make that connection. So I, you know, I went up and asked him about it. I was like, you know, where'd this come from? What, why, why do you do this? You know, because, you know, I think it's having an effect. I think you're influencing other people. There's a domino effect here. Um, what it basically says is I give a shit about you. Okay. And, and that's a big deal yeah. for us in this profession. Cause if you want to see the opposite, go into a, a house where, where everybody goes to their own room and, and values that time by themselves as opposed to where everybody is in the kitchen laughing, talking about tactics and helping each other cook a meal or uh, put together a drill or you name the number of things that we do at this house. Those are the behaviors that I'm blessed enough to see. Hmm. And then on the fire ground, what I see is a yeah. pretty functional combat effective outcome. And I've just Love started that. like, Unfortunately, the the me that was a leader in St. Paul as a company officer did not understand these little psychological connection bits that lead to moral victory on the fire ground. 
Um, and so now I see it now, right? Because I failed and it, it hurt. You know what I mean? Like it hurt when, when I felt like I was a mediocre leader. But right. when I see a, a very effective leader, um, I'm, I'm inspired, right? And, and so I want to be a part of that culture and I want to help grow it. And, and so that's why I'm talking to you about it today, because I'm like, the Absolutely. only way I can help grow it is not only to be an example, but then to share it with other people and how effective it is on the outcome. So I, I guess that's a long way of saying, like, try to establish connection with your crews through little things. I, I told a, a senior firefighter who retired one thing he used to do in the back of the rescue Um you know, he was a senior man and I was the junior man for a little while there before he retired. This guy always brought, he called them rig snacks, right? He always brought these uh, like a bag of almonds or something. I mean, he'd always offer them to you. Right. Right. So it, it, it sounds stupid, right? But it's selfless behaviors. No, um, it's awesome. I mean, yeah. it's that messaging. It's that, that psychological messaging, that psychological safety that it, 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 it Inculcates is that the the yeah, yeah. yes it's I love cult- it it's cultivating aggression yes. I I hate to say like we're talking about connection and aggression being in the same um the same sphere but if, if nurturing nurturing aggression through through consistent what'd you say small continuous examples of connection yes yeah. I love it I love it yeah honestly I I didn't see it coming but it's in front of me so. There, there it is. That's another book. So we got three books or two more you got to write at right. some point. Right. You owe it to the fire service. That's going to bring value. You're right. So I do owe it to the I, fire service. I know which lever to push on you right now. So mm-hmm. uh, people, uh, Nick Papard chiming in said, never underestimate the power of small acts of thoughtfulness consistently performed over time. People notice even if it seems like they don't. Alan says it all starts or should start at the kitchen table. Uh Joe Schuler said, Jeff Rothmeyer, you are a prince with three exclamation points. So I, I have to share with you just to double down on this concept. Okay, go. I, I love stories. I love I love examples. So go. I've got two guys who uh, one's a, uh, he's a captain in, in St. Paul. The other one, I believe, is a deputy chief now. So they were uh, they were junior to me in St. Paul. I was a uh, I was a senior man on the rig for them. Um, two separate, okay, the same, the same uh, behavior. And years later, I heard about the outcomes that it led to them. Okay, so they're rookies, right? They're probies. They just got the job. One of them comes in, and uh, he comes to Engine Seventeen. We're a busy company, good fire duty. We're gonna be up all night settling. You know, we're gonna see some stuff today. Right. Um. So it's his first week or so on the job. I make breakfast in the morning. That's what I did at that time in my career. You know, you know, it was a single company station. So I'm like, I'll make breakfast for the guys. That's my thing, right? So he came in. Hey, where, where am I setting up? Setting up my gear. You know, what? How's the station layout? Hey, put your gear on the whatever driver's side. You know, here's all the stuff. Well, how do you like your eggs done? Right? Oh, you know. So bang, made him some eggs. Like. Five to 10 years later, this guy came up to me and he's a captain now himself, right? We're both captains at the time. He's like, Jeff, you'll never know how much it meant to me that you made breakfast for me. I loved my time at 17th, loved it. So 
this other gentleman who was only like a year or two behind him, same thing. You know, I was at the station for a few years. He came in, you know, same, same outcome as far or same behaviors. Right. Hey, throw your gear right there. Welcome. You know, here's how, the how, layout of the house. How do you like your eggs type of thing? Right. Again, probably seven, eight years later, this gentleman, right before he promoted, worked on a company with me at 17s. And he was like, hey, Jeff, you'll never know how much that meant to me. I remember when this happened and you treated me like this. Wow. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> you know, like I, it just caught me off guard because, you know, I was searching at that time trying to figure out like, how do I, uh, how do I influence this department more effectively? How do I help us become the best that we can become? And I, I really thought it was through tactics and I really thought it was through uh, fitness and I still think those th- those are key critical items, but we're missing a moral a moral victory here. I think. Beautiful man, and and to get the validation years later that uh, uh, you know not even looking for it, but to get yeah. the validation, the the confirmation, the unsought. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I st- I stumbled upon the the, you know, like they they told me about that, and I didn't think about it then. I just thought. Like, so they told me this probably it's seven years ago. I had those conversations with those two gentlemen. Um, And then I ran into what's going on at my current station and I'm starting to connect the dots here because, you know, people are looking for connection when they come into this industry and sometimes we withhold it um, and not everybody can tolerate that. Right. Like some of us can, we're, we're willing right. to earn our, earn our stripes and we can tolerate you being a little gruff with us until we show you what we're made of, but not everybody can. And some people hold on to that. And and I don't know if I see too many people out there um, in high performance land as resentful um, people full of anxiety, right? Like I don't think resentment and anxiety fit into high performance. Right on. Like no. I don't think those are good correlates. No, I love it, man. I love it. And, and 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 just to go back just a few seconds and go back to those two that came back to you and told you how much it meant to them, right? Uh, that validation you got years later. Just to bring it full circle, they probably don't realize how much it meant to you to hear how much yeah. it meant to them. You yeah. know, just the, the full circle. Yeah, uh, James, James Mitchellisco is asking from Indianapolis, Jeff, I always hear people who have never served in the military scoff at the fact that we are a paramilitary organization. Can you explain the similarities and why it is important that we maintain the paramilitary mentality? If you think we should, of course. I don't want to put words in your mouth at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. And I was actually thinking about this earlier. Here's I'll go with the why first. Okay. Okay. When when we would have a drill in the military, um, before the drill, there was smoking and joking. After the drill, there was smoking and joking. But like... Um, that was kind of before whoever was leading the drill got a hold of us and, and like told us the uh, task conditions and standards, right? You know, like th- this was us mustering up and hurrying up and waiting. But once once we were on drill time, um, we drill in the fire service becomes a social event much of the time. Um, unfortunately, like. There's there's all kinds of like, well, this might apply here or that might apply there or this tactic's probably better because it's almost like we're searching for validation of our way of doing it versus just doing it. Like, you know, especially like who cares 
if uh, somebody, whoever's in charge of the drill today and executing the drill, who cares if it's not the most effective way to do it? Um, at least you'll have another way to do it that you can adapt from. And, and adaptation is a part of competence and it's a part of, um, you know, w- well, winning conflicts, right? Is you have to have the ability to adapt. So, so you do a drill that's not completely in your wheelhouse or you don't think is completely effective. We don't have to ruin it with a bunch of sidebar conversation for the next half hour and then do like we have a great conversation, but a half-assed drill, right? So I see that happening a fair amount as we talk about a drill more than we drill. <laughs> and so in the military, it was like, no, you're going to be you're you're going to be doing the sets and reps more because you didn't you had enough respect for the rank by the indoctrination process, you had enough respect for the rank that you weren't going to openly question the drill and then have this big sidebar conversation, whether it's relevant or not, right? You were just going to follow orders. Um, Now, obviously, you know, there needs to be some room for for people to take initiative on the fire ground uh, by like when I say, uh, just follow orders. I'm, I'm not, you don't want to create um, mindless warriors, right? Right. So there's a balance there, but in drill time, let's just follow the orders, do the drill. And if you got something after the drill that you think would be more beneficial for the leader to, uh, to throw at us on the next drill, then let's do it at that time. But let, let's get our sets and reps in. I, that's a big big part of the thing I think is happening in the fire service when we don't have paramilitary is we, we start to, we're all entitled all of a sudden now, like we we lose our obedience and we lose our discipline, you know? And so once we're all entitled, like, well, who's leading us? Are we just, are we just kind of leading ourselves? Well, we we better have some really strong leaders uh, across ranks. If we're all going to lead ourselves, you know, that's where the paramilitary thing I think really helps, helps out. It, it establishes a rank and structure that everybody is disciplined to. Um, obedience is a good thing, right? Right. Um, so I think it really helps us uh, well execute right on the fire ground. So when it, when it's time to go like this word uh, that's become, I, I think a nasty word in the fire service freelancing. I think some of that goes away when we have better um, indoctrination, right? Like, I I guess, like, freelancing wasn't as big of a word uh, in larger departments because they are a little bit more paramilitary than, and I was a volunteer for years, than in smaller departments um, because we did respect, I think, the officers a little bit more because of the paramilitary structures that were in place. Um, and, and then it just seemed like freelancing wasn't as big of a problem as it's made out to be in some of the smaller departments that had less paramilitary structure. So is the organizational respect or the systemic respect that, that seems to be the the main casualty? I think so. I think we're losing some of that. I like how you put that chief. Um, it's a big deal. I, no, no. I, yeah, because it, it really does. Like you said, once you allow each person, like everybody does what's right in their own eyes, you know, go biblical a little yeah. bit. But then if you're left to everybody gets to pick what 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 they get to do. Uh, if you're if you're in a season of life, if you're in a valley complacency, man, 
then why do anything, you know, right. uh, with, without that discipline, without that uh, organization? Yeah, sorry. Well, no, you're right. And on the fire ground, we need to execute with violence of action. We need to seize the initiative back. And we just don't have time. The time we're making in our drills for the talk and this and that, we don't have time for that on the fire ground. So while the talk is good, I think the talk on discussing the drill should almost happen in the, at the kitchen table if the officer is willing to tolerate it, right? Like, hey, guys, I'm thinking about a drill. What? Here's what I'm thinking. You guys want to put give me some input before I set it up? Or the senior man or whoever's putting the drill together, let's talk before we get out there. Then when it's set up, let's just get our sets and reps in because that's going to develop like this implicit um, communication, this implicit nature and cohesion on the fire ground is by doing drills often enough that you can predict what your, when your partner is doing this or that, and you can support his or her operation. Um, Yeah. But we need a lot of sets and reps uh, and we have to value them. And, and I think we almost value like the discussion at times because of the social aspect of the fire service versus the paramilitary aspect of, well, the military, right? It's like, no, right. just go out and do the drills. These are your combat drills. They're going to help you survive. We don't always look at it that way. Right on, man. Uh, more, more questions coming at you. Uh, Brad Brown coming at you. Brad Brown said, why is the scrap not required training on Monday nights? It's a great question, Brad. I've had to, had to, had to say it out loud, right. uh, but Part of the reason why is because of my work schedule. Sometimes it's on Tuesdays and sometimes it's on Sundays, depending on if I'm on duty. So that's one of the reasons. But I absolutely love the thought there, and it should be uh, every department should absolutely listen to Scrap each and every time it's live. Um, I want to move and and switch tracks on you, although anything you want to say, of course, you're free to go with. Injured on duty, the glory of the fire service. I love this topic. Yeah, well, I brought that up because that's uh, it's now right like for me and, and you know I, I i don't know that i'm necessarily gonna get into a whole story what what happened to me but i got i got injured pretty good um and so like the the fire service uh has really taken care of me that's including um not just locally like locally it was very impactful because of, of the nature that everything occurred but I really wanted to like take a minute. Um, like I saw the light of mankind through God, right? Or I should I should say the light of God through mankind. I'm sorry, I had that backwards. Like that's what I saw when I got injured. My family was in a in a the valley of darkness, and uh, that's what I saw. Is I saw um, people come to my bedside. I saw people sit with my wife. Not people, firefighters. Um, and I, I did have family and other, other, uh, citizens helping out, but most prevalent, prevalently the heartbeat of our, um, resiliency came from firefighters. Um, they sat with my wife, uh, they drove my broken body, uh, four hours. Uh, so, so think about this. Half of, some of those brothers at that station of mine, they went on a four-hour uh, EMS run, right? Like, we don't do that. <laughs> right. On a, on a Sunday night at 2 a.m. So mm-hmm. I was just talking to Joe Klocka and uh, Patty Walsh about this the other day. Uh, one of our brothers got married, and, uh, you know, my wife was there, and, you know, it brought her to tears. 
that she saw a couple of the people and what they did for us. Right. And, and so like, we had to go up and say like, every time we see you, um, I work with them. So I see them often. I don't bring this up every day, but like as a, as a couple, we, we feel the need to always honor them. Um, yeah, you know, like 2 AM, four hour drive. Uh, they, they drove my broken body to be with my daughter when she was having a significant surgery. Um, and you know what they, they had like, I'm guessing a, a very short time period to respond because I got injured on a Saturday night and Sunday night I was heading out, uh, getting released from, from the hospital. So, uh, five firefighters from my station stepped up, left their families for five, maybe even a week. I, I'd have to look at the calendar, but for at least five days, they left their families to be with mine. And I felt terrible about it because I, I knew I like, I knew that they, they were doing it just because of me and I didn't want them to, to be burdened with my problems. Right. right. Um, and they laughed at me each time and said, what do you need, Jeff? We're, we're going to be here. So just tell us what you need and shut up. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to stay with you. Right. And, and so like, eventually I just accepted, um, well, the glory of the fire service, their, their behaviors for me, uh, are life changing. They, uh, they showed me, you know, cause there's been times in my career where I've been frustrated with maybe some of the lack of engagement, uh, on the tactical side and the, you know, um, pursuing a high performance, like, I've been frustrated a lot in the fire service with that. And, and my behaviors have been all like resembled back to maybe some of the people that I didn't think were pursuing that. They, they, my behaviors haven't been great either. And like communicating with them, uh, trying to, trying to get influence them to, to bring up the standard of care. Um, these guys like just showed me a whole new level and example of behavior. Um, and, and I, I'm so humbled by what they did. Cause I, I just, I literally scratched the surface of what they did. I had, I had like at least two or three of them out in my backyard for three days. Re freaking like I had a bunch of trees and crap that I've been meaning to get to for years now and probably would have never, I mean, they spent three days in my backyard transforming my backyard. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so here's the deal. Like, I couldn't tell you that they loved me that much. Like if you would have asked me like, Hey, how, you know, what did the guys think of you at your firehouse? I would have said like, I think they would say I'm a hard worker and um, they, they, they would trust me on the fire ground. I kind of, I kind of put limits to that. Their actions told me that it would seem that they value me more than that. And honestly, like that is the most humbling thing that I've, uh, I've ever encountered in my life. I don't know how I'll ever pay them back. And I, uh, I am, I'm very motivated right. to, be, to be serving this department and amongst such men and women of character. That's awesome, brother. That's awesome. And, and the story is awesome. Uh, and I hope that no one ever has to, like it's it the power, like you say, the glory of the fire service. I've never heard it put that way. It's beautiful. I hope no one has to ever experience it. You know what I mean? Right. I, I really do. But it is it is powerful when it's in effect. When it's in effect. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to get to this lessons learned from an Iwa Jima veteran. 
yeah. member member of the greatest generation of Marine. Talk to me about what that uh, that that mentor. Yeah, so that that mentor, I, I ran into him um, a few years back. I I, uh, I started uh, volunteering with Honor Flight, and uh, uh, the the gentleman who introduced me to, to the Honor Flight Volunteer Network, um, he does a lot of work with me with. Uh, Gosh, I'm talking. He actually just passed two weeks ago. I'm oh, talking about okay. it like he's still around. So that gentleman, um, he's a good friend of mine's father. He passed. Uh, God rest his soul. Mm. Um, but he he introduced me to an Iwo Jima vet. Um, I had asked him. Well, I had asked him to introduce me. I, w- I was asked to teach a few classes about culture, and I it really seems like too big of a topic for me to teach. Uh, I observe culture and I, and I like wonder like, how can we, how can we uh, bring more goodness and virtue to, to the world? How can we be more united as far as like, especially in our small units, you know, sure, uh, it's, it, it, it's an ideal, but even like a department, like how can we maneuver a ship in the right direction? Yes. Um, so then I, I thought, well, if somebody's having me teach it, I got to give it my best shot. And, and I was like, well, I, I guess I would just have to learn from the examples of those cultures that were uh, the most functional. So to me, the two of them that came to my head is the greatest generation. And mm-hmm. I've always thought, felt like I should have been born in that generation. Um, and then two, uh, the United States Marine Corps. I, I, and I, I was an army and I love the army, but um the Marine Corps is the world's finest fighting unit. Um, so I told my, um, my, my friend, uh, I was like, can I, can you, do you know any, um, world war two vets that are Marines that, you know, are still coherent enough to kind of mentor me. And, uh, he, he introduced me to Ralph Simonel cause he's, he's like, what are you trying to accomplish? And I was like, I need to learn the values of the greatest generation in the Marine Corps. And, and I need to, I'd like to ask them questions and kind of dive into that so I can teach it to young firefighters or departments who are looking for this, this type of uh, feedback. So um, I got to know Ralph very well. And so um, he, he was, uh, he landed on Iwo Jima as a part of the first assault wave. Um, from what I could put together in his bio, from what I could put together, like in that first assault wave, 500 soldiers, I think around that came off the first boat. Um, only four of them lived, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's one of the four. And so 5,000 soldiers, I, I believe in the first two days, um, Marines, 5,000 Marines died in the first two days, 7,000 total, uh, 36 days of constant fighting. Uh, I believe 27 medals of honor in this battle. Mm. So one of the um, slogans from this battle was uh, uncommon virtue or no um, uncommon valor became a common virtue in this battle, I believe is the one of the slogans that I've read. Um, And so one of the most impactful things that I've uh, I've started to convey that Ralph taught me and Ralph taught me a lot and, and he still, he still does. He's, 
is not doing great right now. Um, he's 98. So he's, uh, oh, wow. yeah. yeah, he's up against it. And up in the last year, things have kind of taken a turn, but and even in that he's, uh, he's really facing his struggles with, with amazing grace. But, um, one of the things I really wanted to share with the listeners that I think other students have valued <laughs> Ralph told me that seven Marines jumped on grenades for their brothers. So I, I could only find like two of the medal of honors that are three that had the jumped on a grenade, sacrificed himself for his brothers. But, you know, I, Ralph was there. So I'm, uh, I'm believing him, man. So seven Marines jumped on grenades for their brothers. <clears throat> okay. So I'm a soldier um, and proud of it. Right. In the army, our training was for, for grenade ops, how to throw it. Right. But other than that, you tried to get the heck out of the area if a grenade landed near you. That's what you were trained to do. Or if you're in a foxhole, like maybe you dug a little sump for that thing to fall into, and then you dove, you kicked it in there, and you dove, dove the other way, right? Um, so culture, one thing I, I, in the classes that I, I've given on culture is it's, a, um, it's conditioned behavior. Like when you see symbols and traditions and behaviors of those around you that kind of get repeated all the time, um, without thinking about it, those are culture, right? Um, so that's culture at play. And, and it's key to think about this without thinking about it. It's the actions and behaviors of people in a group that are being displayed without thinking about them. It, it's really telling you the values of that group. Okay. Mm. So to me, I started making a connection with this, this grenade thing. Those, those soldiers, those Marines, they didn't, and I've asked several Marines this now, was your training like the Army's training? Did they ever train you to jump on a live grenade? Because they didn't train me that. And a, and a Marine and a soldier are also going to know that you probably have three to seven seconds before the, the grenade's going to go off. So in three to seven seconds, you don't have time to think. So without thinking about it, the culture in the Marine Corps to me, looks to be selfless. And that that is such a, and uh, Ralph also taught me this. He used to talk about all of their training and how the behavior, you know, some of the indoctrination, while it was hardy training and, and they suffered greatly, um, they all did it for each other. The team was more important than the individual. Right, right. So that is a display, the ultimate display of the team being bigger than the individual. If, if uh, Marines are jumping on grenades for their brothers. So now I was like, okay, well, is it just a generational thing? Uh, Kyle Carpenter, if you ever get to read his story, um, I forgot the name of his book, but uh, he also, it's in 2012, I believe around that time frame in Afghanistan, he jumped on a sold uh, a grenade as well for his brothers. He's still alive today. He's the youngest uh, Medal of Honor recipient. Recipient. So he's a Marine, um, you know, jumped on a grenade for his brothers in combat. Yeah, still alive today, right? So to me, it just showed me that that culture has survived generations. Um, it's not just like a greatest no. generation thing. It's the Marine Corps culture is selfless um, to the to the very extent of the word, right? Right on. 
Yeah, yeah. So you were worth it. That's the book. Sorry, I was thinking yes. you had me. You had me thinking. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So that's the guy. So the one of the things that Kyle I, I loved is like when people tell him thanks for your service. He's you know that's his answer. You're worth it, right? Nice. I, I think that's a pretty powerful answer because uh, I've I've caught you know I was like you know what I'm going to do this once in a while just to see if I get a reaction out of somebody because I like the intent. The intent what was like, I didn't serve for me. I served for you. And you know what? I did sacrifice for you, but you're worth it. Um, It's a nice message to send. You know, I'm not trying to get all touchy and feely here, but when that, that captain leaves that door open for me, he's telling me the same thing. Right. right? And it's, and it's influencing my initiative to, to serve um, with, with the best I've got. Right. Like it might have limits, but I'm, I'm, I'm motivated to serve when I'm around people that are expressing these things uh, culturally, subconsciously with each other. Right. Right. Way to bring it full circle, brother. That's yeah. awesome, man. Right back to the beginning. I'm put, trying. A nice, put a nice bow. That's a perfect chance to segue into uh, one of my favorite topics to ask the guest and it's book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. Doesn't have, does not have to be fire related books. But I, w- I I love getting new books to read. Oh, all right. Well, one, I think they should read MCDP-1. It's a free download if you Google uh, Warfighting uh, Marine Corps Doctrine Publication 1. Um, that's a big one I think you should read. Oh, absolutely. Uh, honestly, you can get the little the – little, uh, you can get the printed version and you can also get the PDF. Yeah. Uh, one cost a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I believe that's uh that opened my eyes. It really did. Um, okay. and, and it's, it's happens. I had heavy influence in the book that, that, uh, I wrote and I actually got to speak with the author of MCDP one. I was so, uh, you know, um, jazzed about it. Uh, John Schmidt, um, <clears throat> darn, I'm forgetting his rank. So I guess I'm a terrible <laughs> anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think he might've been, a. I know for sure he's a captain at the time he wrote the book, but Anyways, um, other than that, uh, what you know, I Vincent Dunn. If we're talking fire service books, I love his books, and honestly, they start to have. So he's got a heavy influence on me in this book too. Um, right. in, the, in the book I wrote, uh, you know, his book on battle spaces. Yeah, you referenced it quite a few times. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate because. Okay, so I tried to read um, Brannigan's Bible on building construction. I feel like I can only do a chapter here and there. Um, and it is dense. It is dense. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think I, well, I haven't sat down. I'm, man, I'm, an, I'm initiated. I'm in the game, right? Like, I, I sit down and read quite a bit of things to try to, to, to make it better, you know, or make myself better for us or, make it better for us, right? Whatever we can do to, to push the initiative here. But that, that, uh, Brannigan's pretty tough read. Right. Right. So I do a chapter at a time battle spaces. It's construction, building construction relevant. Um, I, I zipped right through that. So, um, if you're struggling with Brannigan's work, it's, it's solid and it's, it's, it's the Bible of, uh, building construction for the fire service. But I, I think, uh, (laughs) I think Vincent Dunn's, if we're talking in those terms of the Bible, his is the New Testament. 
Nice. <laughs> right? I like it. building construction. So no, love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Solid brother. Solid. Yeah. All right. Now we have a thing we do on the scrap. It's called the five questions for firefighters. Of course, you're number 211. So we've done quite a few. So the, the questions have changed over time. And we are currently in the five questions for firefighters version 3.2. So there are no right or wrong answers. Their answers are completely your opinion. And then the points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me with the help of the live audience as you answer the questions. So my question for you, Jeff Rothmeyer, is are you ready for the five questions for firefighter version 3.2? Yeah, send it. All right, here we go. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career? Curiosity. Um, you want me to expand? Always, always. Okay, curiosity. So curiosity is going to lead to presence in your drill. So if you're getting through your drills and you're just nailing them, you're like, you're, you're going to probably check out and move on to like socializing and having a good time hanging out with other firefighters. But uh, I'm curious. So I'll watch other people drill and I'll remain present in the drill longer. Right. So my mental engagement is now part of the drill. I'm watching different people do things, different firefighters do things differently. And then I'm wondering why. Like, why is that firefighter holding the tool this way or that way? And then I wonder, how might that impact my ability to do a better job on the fire ground? Um, I, I constantly watch uh, firefighters train because a lot of times I get to the honor of instructing and I try to remind them to remain present. I, I think it's a skill set. The presence is a skill set, a mindfulness, whatever, that's right. like almost right behind curiosity. Um, but the curiosity, it really motivates me to be present. Like I remind myself like, hey, what, what am I doing here? And then um, obviously I'm, I'm here to grow. And if I'm not curious about what's going on around me, um, I won't stay engaged. Hence, I won't come up with new relevant material for my drills. And I might get into this stale pattern of, you know, some type of complacency, right? Right on, right on. I love it. I love it, brother. Uh, number one, Max Points, curiosity, presence in your drill. I've never heard curiosity tied to mindfulness like that, and I, I really like that, uh, the the causation of that right there. Yeah. David Stepp said, curiosity. I really like that. I hear you, bro, 100%. So there you go. Number two, it's job town. It's time. You're in route and responding. Think of the scene from Backdraft where he slaps the cassette tape, cassette tape into the – into the thing and and the starts playing. What song are you playing in route? Uh, I'm gonna have to go with Skillet Hero. I, it's kind of cheesy. I like. I'll, <laughs> I'll take all the shots. I'll take the shots, but I, I I dig it. You know. I'm trying to think. Uh, we're making a. We're gonna make a playlist off all the answers to this. Skillet's Hero. All right. Number three, what is your favorite fire service tradition? The history of the Maltese cross. Um, it's our foundation, right? So we all wear it. You know, like if, if there's anything every fire department across the nation does, we know how difficult that we would every fire department across the nation to agree on one thing. I feel like we all pretty much have the Maltese cross. Would you agree with me on that one, Chief? I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. 
Okay, so to me, it's the most relevant one. And and I love the story, right, of, of the Knights of uh, Malta, who were the first firefighters because their brothers were dying in combat because of uh, the, this new weapon, the, and I, I don't have the right um, name, the Sar- Saracens, maybe uh, it's how yeah. it's said. Yeah, this new weapon that they flung at the, the Knights of Malta and, and it started them on fire. And so um, just like our brothers dove on, or I'm sorry, just like the Marines uh, have dove on grenades for their brothers, our, our tradition is that the Knights of Malta dove on top of their brothers who were, uh, you know, on fire and, and risked their lives to put them out. They had red capes on too. So if you got red fire trucks, we're winning. I like it. I love it, brother. Anytime you can, anytime you can reference red fire trucks, you get max points. James max Mitchellisco points. said, hell yes, max points 100. So there you go. Number four. Now, this one is the one. This is the brand new one. It's only been done once before, last week by Jonah Smith. So this one goes on the clock. You can see the clock that is up there for you. Uh, Sam is going to make it visible for all of the audience. And you have one minute to tell me who are the four people you would put on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service and go. All right. James Braidwood, one of the most uh, aggressive uh, early firefighters in our, in our industry. Um, Vincent Dunn. I, uh, his books are, are something else and they've had such an impact on me. He's got to be there for me. Um, so right, and before Vincent Dunn, Hugh Halligan, right? That Ooh. I mean, that bar and that Halligan hook, that's what's going with me on every scene. So he's with me, right? Um, and then I'm going to go with Andy Fredericks. Perfect. With time to spare. Made it look easy. There like, we go. Made it look easy. 20 seconds to spare. Brother Braidwood, you went 19th century. Uh, how can you knock that? Vinny right? Dunn. Tied it back in because you've already referenced him. Hugh Halligan, like you said, you carry him to every fire, and you will never go wrong. You will never go wrong with Andy Fredericks, man. Brother, I absolutely love your Mount Rushmore, and you did it in – Yeah, we got got smoothbores. We got Halligans. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Max points easily. Number five, the question, the question that's been around since the very first question, heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned – to the nozzle or first in on VES? Uh, first in on VES. It's mission time. We got, I like it. We got to search it and we got to get them out. I, I love the, I love the pipe too, but uh, yeah, first in VES. First in. I, I would have been surprised if you said anything else there. I was expecting VES. So absolute max points. Brother, you absolutely crushed the five questions for firefighters. And that officially makes it 211 scraps in the books. My brother, Jeff Rothmeyer, thank you for sharing your evening with me and the audience. If people want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do so? I got a Facebook account, so I I check on that. You can uh, hit me there. Um, Jeff Rothmeyer at Gmail. It's pretty easy. But, uh, yeah, those are the two two probably easiest ways that most of us are linked in. Beautiful, man. All right. Uh, McGinn said, great scrap. Thanks for y'all's time. The truckie said, that's a stacked mountain. That is an absolutely stacked mountain. Right? <laughs> uh, all right. Housekeeping. Go to firehousevigilance.com. Become a vigilante. Five bucks a month. Or you can sign up for a year. It's the cost of a cup of coffee. 
be a part. We just did the uh, vigilante meetup down in Arkansas, and we got together, and uh, it was awesome. Michael Ramirez was the first vigilante viceroy of the first in conference, so he has a title, and he had to lead us in the creed, and he had to do the toast. He posted it all. It was amazing. We're going to get better at it as we go forward. It's going to be even more fun. Uh, The badass scraps continue. Next week is another Wisconsin dude, Brian Richards. He's coming on to talk. Uh, Then it's on to Chief Frank Lieb coming on to talk about his new book that is being released. And then following that, Basil Ibrahim returns. So the killer scraps of 2023 continue. Man, uh, everybody pay attention to this part right here. There are only 70 days and a few hours until registration opens for Firemanship 2024. Mark your calendars for Cyber Monday, November 27th. Be ready. That's when you can get your tickets and register register for Firemanship. My brother, Jeff Rothmeyer, thank you for being such a phenomenal guest. Yeah. No, I was honored to be here. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Thank you. Vigilantes, if you're going to be part of the Scrap After Party, I'll, I'll put the link up as soon as we end. Uh, and we'll all go in there and we'll roast Jeff as promised, which never happens, but we'll still say we're going to do it. Uh, I'll send you the, I'll put the link in there. I'll see you afterwards. Uh, audience. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you guys are the ones that make the scrap special, uh, with your questions. <laughs> you keep it organic. You keep us real. I love it. Remember mutts don't scrap. I hope the tones stay silent unless it is burning. Everybody. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.